In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. One Advent Sunday in Boston a few years ago, I found myself a new uh, associate priest in charge of my first children's Christmas pageant. And now, I know I'm a man with a few gifts. Like in any given week, I say the Mass, I hear confessions and pronounce absolution. I'm often in hospital rooms at the bedsides of people that are in great distress. I can sit relatively comfortably with theologians and with civic leaders. But when I had to herd cadres of runny-nosed sheep and angels, and when I had responsibility for a grade school blessed virgin holding an eight-month-old live baby, I began to be afraid. Afraid that my decision to put on a pageant had been just a terrible, terrible idea. If we look for a theme running through today's texts, one theme may be the theme of fear. Fear is such a close companion in the lives of Americans that an entire vocabulary has built up around our fears. Just Google the word phobia. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. You know what bathophobia is? It's the fear of depths. Don't know what's up with that. Dentophobia, what's that? The fear of dentists. Very well done, Maggie Root. Um, pantherophobia. Some of you have that, you don't even know what it is. It is the fear of your mother-in-law. <laughs> Mine is here today, so I plead the fifth. There's the fear of fresh air, fear of baths, which one of my daughters had for a while. The fear of flowers, even the fear of flutes. But there are more commonplace fears, the ones that really do haunt us. A tickophobia, the fear of failure. Carcinophobia, fear of cancer. Peniophobia, the fear of poverty. Garascophobia, the fear of getting old. The most pervasive fear in our culture is what existentialists, what philosophers would just call dread or angst. Just this nameless, faceless, ever-present, general feeling of anxiety or dread. What Thoreau described when he wrote, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Douglas Copeland in Generation X said that most of us have only two or three genuinely interesting moments in all our lives. The rest is filler. And at the end of our lives, most of us will be lucky if any of those moments connect together to form a story that anyone would find remotely interesting. And that is a terrifying possibility for us. If it sounds familiar to you, and it certainly does to me, and thank God for today's texts, because Isaiah 7 and Matthew 1 are portraits of two men, one a carpenter, one a king, and how they handle fear. And I want to look at both. First of all, look at Isaiah 
7. We know the Emmanuel, it's a familiar part of the Bible, we know the Emmanuel prophecy just from Christmas carols, but less familiar is where it comes from. So as the story goes, there was a, a king named Ahaz. He was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and when we meet him in Isaiah 7, he is hiding in an aqueduct, in a large pipe, a raised pipe that delivered water into the southern kingdom's capital of Jerusalem. And he's hiding because of fear. Because Judah's under siege from two kings from the north. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz in the aqueduct to tell him, do not be afraid of these two kings. See, God had promised Ahaz's ancestor David that his kingdom would never fall. And so the threat from the two kings to the north that had chased Ahaz into the aqueduct stood in direct contradiction, was a threat to that promise from God. And the sign that God gives of the promise is Emmanuel. Isaiah says the birth of a, of a child will be the sign that the promise God stands with Ahaz, Ahaz, still stands as the king who sits on David's throne. So barrels and barrels of trucks of ink have been spilled on what exactly that promise meant to Ahaz, that Emmanuel, the son that would be born. But it seems clear that it had to refer in some way to a child born at the time that Ahaz was in the aqueduct. Some child that was born when Ahaz was in hiding, that by the time he reached uh, the age of responsibility under the law, by the time he turned 12, when he knew enough to reject the good and to choose the bad, that the kings allied against Ahaz would fall. And they did, less than 12 years later. But what is important to our story is how Ahaz responded to the sign of Emmanuel. In the crucial moment, Ahaz could not trust God. Instead, he sent emissaries to, the, to another king, to the king of Assyria, and they took silver and gold out of the temple to buy Assyria's protection. Ahaz put his trust in Assyria and not in God. That's why if you read the book of Kings, it says that Ahaz was, a, was not a good king. And then he slept with his fathers. He was a bad king. He gave in to fear and placed his trust in military might and international intrigue rather than trusting in God. Now, look at Matthew's gospel. The way of the king was not the way of the carpenter. So this story, Joseph's story, is really more familiar to us. We know that Mary was promised as his wife, and then she came one day bringing this devastating news that she was pregnant and the child was not his. So seeking to avoid disgracing her, he decided he would, he would divorce her quietly, out of the public eye, to the side. And then one night, in the turmoil, in the fear of his life, he dreamt of an angel that came and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. 
the same words that Isaiah spoke to Ahaz, the angel speaks to Joseph. Fear not, because what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew closes the circle for us. And he says, this took place to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier to a king in an aqueduct. Emmanuel, God is with us. Twice the prophecy came, both times to frighten men. They responded differently. Once, um, um, not once, Michael Card, in a little book called Emmanuel, Reflections on the Life of Christ, wrote about Joseph and said that a simple carpenter stands in the shadow of the stable, in the shadow of history. People come and go, the shepherds have seen angels, the magi, a star. Others have only heard fantastic rumors. Some of them have come hundreds of miles, some only across the street. The silent figure stands there watching them come and go. The weeping ones who adore and the curious ones who merely gape. He is the gentle foster father of Jesus, a rural carpenter named Joseph. The best in him rejoices with the others. God has finally come to his people. But the worst in him still wonders if he isn't the biggest fool in Bethlehem tonight. Joseph is the first person to really struggle with the incarnation. Mary's momentary, how could these things be, seemed to come and go like a cool breeze. But Joseph saw no angels. He only dreamed dreams. He had no quickening in his belly to tell him that life had indeed been conceived without his flesh. We know almost nothing about Joseph apart from his gentleness and willingness to say no to himself for Mary's sake and for God's. Somehow he said no to himself and to fear and yes to God. One carpenter, one king, both afraid, both holding onto a promise, but one turns his back on God, the other trusted in the face of his fear. There are always two ways for us when we're face to face with what frightens us most. Whether it's our mothers-in-law, our flutes, or fear, cancer, getting old, whatever it is. Even if, and, and I'll confess to you that this is a major struggle for me, even if it is simply having you find out that I'm afraid. That I'm holding everything together with both hands. That it's smoke and mirrors and I'll fail as a husband or father, I'll fail as your rector. So if I may... Allow me to suggest two things to do in the face of fear. First of all, recognize it for what it is and for where it comes from. Fear is a force that is meant to debilitate us. It is meant to cripple us. And Timothy says it does not come from God. God does not give us a spirit of fear. And then secondly, remember this. 
that these stories, the tales that we tell at Christmas time, are not empty fables or just stories for an ancient age. The promise of Emmanuel is as real and present with us today. God is with us in our fear by his daily visitation, in our anxiety, our weakness, even in our death. Emmanuel is with us. God stands right beside you. So fear not, little flock. Consider that an invitation. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.